A few weeks ago, we celebrated my mother's birthday. I've shared with you how old she is now. She's 100 years old. That's remarkable, and we're very thankful for that. There are close to 100,000 people in America that are 100 years old. That's interesting, isn't it? But one thing that's interesting is that a lot of them don't want to live that long. People who age have burdens and aches and pains and anxieties and fears, and some people just think, I just don't even want to get to that point, right? Just let me go when it's my time. Uh, they have concerns about becoming disabled, concerns about being a burden to their family. We're going to talk today about an elderly lady, and she was very old. In fact, we'll see that, as some people think, she might have been 100 years old or even a little bit older than that. But she was very active, and she had a very positive outlook on life. Her name was Anna and we will find her little story in Luke chapter 2. By the way, many of you know this, but if you're trying to find the Christmas story in the Bible, if you're hunting around on Christmas morning, maybe to do something with your family, or you want to read it for yourself, basically it's Luke chapter 2, right? Now there's some in Matthew as well, but Luke chapter 2 is where you find the familiar sections of the story of the birth of Christ. And And there are four main divisions. We could think of four stages of the Christmas story. So you take all those pieces and parts of the Christmas story that you're familiar with and think of them in terms of a little bit of a timeline. There is what happened before Jesus was born. What happened before Jesus was born? Well, the angel made an announcement to some different people. Zacharias was one about the birth of his son, John the Baptist, who would would be the forerunner for Jesus. And then, of course, angels announce the birth of Christ to Mary and also Joseph. And so there were angels' announcements preceding and leading up to the actual event of the birth of Christ. Then there's the the stage of what happened when Jesus was born. And, of course, that includes Mary and Joseph's trip to Bethlehem, the birth of Jesus, the angels' announcements to the shepherds, and then the shepherds' visit to the manger where Jesus was. But then there were also some events that happened right after Jesus was born, and some of those are described in Luke chapter 2 as well. Mary and Joseph took eight-day-old Jesus to the temple to fulfill the law of God that a, a male born to the Jews would be circumcised on the eighth day. So they took eight-day-old Jesus to the temple And and there were two people who saw him there, probably more saw him there, but there were two that the Bible records, and those are Simeon and Anna. So this happened right after Jesus was born, within that week and a day after he was born. And then later, and there are different ideas about how much later, and we won't go into all that this morning, but we know that the wise men came to visit him and to worship him. And then Herod began his, his terrorizing of the people because he did not want to be threatened by an up-and-coming Jewish king. And that's when Mary and Joseph took baby Jesus and fled to Egypt. And when Herod actually committed his, his horrific slaughter of children. And then somewhere after that, sometime after that, Mary and Joseph and Jesus returned to Nazareth. 
One of the people who saw Jesus with his family at the temple was this elderly woman whose name was Anna. And Anna knew that her people needed help. You and I know that too, don't we? We know that the people around us are in need of some kind of help. And she also knew that Jesus was their hope. I I should say it this way. She realized, there was a moment of realization for her when she was there at the temple, when, when she became aware that this Jesus, this baby, was the hope of not only herself, but the people around her. Look with me at Luke chapter 2. I'm going to start up in verse 21 and then read some verses after that. So look with me in your Bibles at Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 21. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now go down with me to verse 36, and this is where we read about Anna, starting in verse 36. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Sometimes when people turn 100 or some other great remarkable age, they'll be asked, so what's the secret to your longevity? What is it that helps you live so long? And of course, people give all kinds of answers. Well, we are interested today not so much in Anna's health as we are in her hope. We want to understand what is the secret of her hope. What is is it that brought to her this great anticipation and then the, the fulfillment of that anticipation in her life? And we know that we not only need hope, but people around us need hope as well. So we're just going to walk through this. There aren't really like sermon points for this or anything like that. I'm not using slides today. So just just walk with me through this. We'll kind of investigate this. So let's look, first of all, at her family. Let's look at Anna's family in verse 36. Verse 36 says that she was the daughter of Phanuel. The daughter of Phanuel. Let's talk about this name for a minute. The name means the face of God. That's an unusual name, isn't it? It's used one other time in Scripture. It's used when Jacob wrestled with God. And he named the place where he wrestled with God Peniel. It's the same in the Hebrew language as this this name, Phanuel, Peniel, Phanuel. And, And then he said, I have seen God face to face, didn't he? He had that that amazing experience of an encounter 
with God. And, and it seems that the parents of this man, Anna's father, that the parents of Phanuel wanted to commemorate that event, wanted to draw attention to that event and memorialize the blessing that, that even Jacob had of being face-to-face with God and the, the wonder of that experience of an encounter with God. Well, then Phanuel named his daughter Anna, and that is a Hebrew, a representation of the Hebrew word grace. It would be like somebody naming their daughter Charis, which is the, or Charis, which is the Greek word for grace. He named his daughter Grace, or Anna. So, so he, Phanuel, saw his daughter, Anna, as a gift from God, as a sign of God's favor. And he recognized that, that God gives freely to us what we could never deserve. That's what grace is, isn't it? It's the favor of God that we can't deserve. And, and as we know, names in the Bible have probably more significance than the names that we use today do. And so these names do have a lot of significance. Phanuel the face of God, Anna, grace. So we could say that Anna's distant ancestors and her immediate family recognized and appreciated the gracious work of God. Now think about it. When Anna was in the temple and witnessed what happened with Simeon and baby Jesus and came to this realization, who was she seeing She saw the face of God, didn't she? She saw Jesus, God's son. She saw the embodiment of the grace of God. She witnessed this remarkable demonstration of God's favor, of his grace on his people. So we're learning about her just from her family. The scriptures here in verse 36 say something else about her family. It says she was of the tribe of of Asher. This is, of course, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. When they had been scattered in God's chastening work in their, in their nation, some of them had been able to return to the land of Israel. But actually, for some of them, they made a choice. And in this case, Asher's family had moved back. So they were in the land of Israel now. They were there, right? They had made that choice to return. And so their return to the land represents their loyalty to God, and we would even say their hope in his promises. Because you can think of the despair. You can think of the the doubt that would come to these Israelites who had been scattered all over and in captivity. And then the word comes, oh, you can return to your land. And some might think, ah, it's not worth it. Why would we? We're settled here. Things are fairly comfortable. Why would we go through all of that again? But they had had a promise from God that he would restore them as a nation, that he would return them to their land, that he would occupy, and that he one day would come to them again, didn't he? So they were aware of these promises. They knew these prophecies. And in this case, this family, the the ancestors of, of Phanuel and Anna had returned. So there they were, and she was on site when it happened, when the fulfillment of those prophecies took place right before her very eyes. So, so we can say, we could summarize this way, that Anna's family provided her a heritage of hope. We can do the same thing, can't we? It's good for us to look at an example like this and learn from it. 
you and I can learn from our parents who are believers or a grandparent or an aunt or uncle, somebody in your family, about the grace of God. You can learn from their lives and from their practices and from their values, from their habits, from the direction of their life and from the direction their life does not go what they, what they abstain from, what they, what they cling to, and what they avoid. You can learn from them about the grace of God. You can learn from their lives about the promises of God. You can, you can appreciate their trust in God, can't you? And maybe some of you can think of somebody right now and you say, you know what, this person in my family has provided for me a heritage of hope. It seems that's what Anna had experienced And that contributed to her anticipation and her realization of the fulfillment of that hope when Jesus came. We can also model this, can't we? For those around us, for those who come after us, for the children in our homes, for for our little ones, for our, our bigger ones, for our grandchildren, our nieces and nephews, and some of them you're going to be with maybe over the, the weeks ahead. And there are people who are watching you, aren't there? And you can model for them what it means to to hope in God. You can model for them what it means to find your security in the promises of God. What What it means to find your fulfillment and contentment in the blessings of God. You can show them and demonstrate to them what it means to really trust God when times are hard. When life is uncertain. You can model for them what it means to, to trust and, and, and believe rather than to worry and be anxious. So many people are just, just weighed down with anxiety, people that you're going to be with over the weeks ahead possibly, or the people that, that you work with or, or live next to experience despair. They just don't know what to do, and hard times come, and family problems happen, and they're just lost. They're lost. And you can model for them what it means to hope. It's important to be the kind of family that provides a heritage of hope in God, isn't it? And it's important to be thankful and to to absorb and to enjoy what it means to be part of a family that gives you a heritage of hope in God. Now, as we look for the source of Anna's hope, uh, this, this description of her is helpful as we see her family. But we also have more here to consider. So, Let's talk about her circumstances. Think with me about the circumstances of her life and what we can observe from, from these verses of Scripture. Well, verse 36 says, in the middle of the verse, she was of a great age. She was very old. She was not just in the category of a, you know, what we might call a senior citizen. She was, she was on the farther end, the further end of that scale, wasn't she, it seems. She was of great age. And, and then we have two very specific details about her age that might help us pin down a little bit more closely how old she actually was. Um, verse, verse 36 says she had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. What that probably means is that she'd been married for seven years. So she was a maiden, she was unmarried, she was a virgin, then she got married and and then she lived with that husband for seven years. So she lived with the husband seven years from her virginity. Then her husband died. 
So, if she was married, as many young women were in this time, in her mid-teens or late teens, think about how old she was when she lost her husband. She was a very young girl, wasn't she? And she experienced the loss of her husband at a young age and all of the, the hurts and the grief and the hardship that would go with that. It's likely she had young children after seven years of marriage, and that would put upon her a level of responsibility at that time. And in her day, being a widow meant often just being neglected or even even being vulnerable and taken advantage of in various ways. And so all of this compounded and intensified the difficulty of her situation. So there's a lot packed into that phrase. She lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. Then verse 37, the second detail, and this woman was a widow of about 84 years. So it tells us that her husband had died. And then it tells us there was a long span of time that she had lived without that husband, right? Now this could be taken two ways. It could mean that she was actually 84 years old at this time, at the time that that this event happened in the temple that we're reading about in Luke chapter 2. It could mean that she was currently, at that time, a widow who was 84 years old. But it could also mean that she had been a widow for 84 years. That's possible. It's possible that the language is being used to describe her age in that way. And and if that's the case, and many do think that it's it's the latter, that she was not just 84 years old, but that she had actually been a widow for 84 years. So if you do the math, where does that put her age? Right around what? Right around 100. Yeah. Again, we don't know. If she was 84 years old, she was up there. She was, she was well, again, in that, in that uh, farther end of the scale of age. But it's possible that she was 100 years old or more. Anna experienced deep heartache and hardships of life, and even just growing old. I hear that growing old is not for sissies. Have you ever heard that? There are the aches and pains and the problems and the challenges and just negotiating life and navigating going places and all of that. We don't know how feeble and frail she was. She, it seems, either either went to the temple and stayed there all the time other than maybe sleeping, or it might even be that she actually lived there. She was active or a woman of her age. But she experienced hardships and heartaches in life, didn't she? We could say she had had, in many ways, a hard life. So here's a conclusion for us based on that. We're investigating where, what her source of hope is. We're now looking at her circumstances in life. I think we can conclude that the circumstances in your life are not a great source of hope. Hers weren't necessarily. Now, there, may, there may have been some comforts and some blessings and all of that in her life, but, but what we read here indicates to us that there were some, some real challenges in her life. And if we look to family circumstances or, or financial circumstances or how other people treat us or, or how we feel physically as the basis for our hope, then we will be disappointed, won't we? And here her eyes were lifted above her circumstances and the hardships and the hurts and all that she'd experienced. And all of a sudden, uh, a light just shined right into her eyes. And she experienced the realization of her hope. 
circumstances, people around us, family, finances will all let us down at some point in some way. We can enjoy them. God has given us richly all things to enjoy. Family is a blessing. Material possessions are a blessing. We can, we can use them and enjoy them, but don't put your hope in them, right? Don't put your ultimate confidence in them. Don't derive your ultimate joy from them because it will always be broken at some time in some way. Another way to think about it is hard circumstances do not have to destroy your hope, do they? So if your hope is anchored into something other than circumstances and people and finances and how others treat you and how you feel physically, if your hope is is connected and linked and tied to something other than those, then when those change, when those are hard, when those disappoint, then your hope can remain steady, can it? Hard circumstances don't have to destroy your hope. In fact, they reveal where your hope is. When it gets hard, where your hope is surfaces and remains. So, as we look for the source of Anna's hope, we find that family can help point us in the right direction, as hers likely did, but cannot be the ultimate basis of our confidence and joy in life, and circumstances will almost always let us down. What else can we find out about this fascinating woman? Well, let's look at her activities. Look at her activities. Verse 36 tells us she did not, uh, excuse me, verse 36, uh, near the beginning, there was one Anna. And it says she was a prophetess. Now, this is interesting, isn't it? She had some role There was some activity in her life where she spoke. And when she spoke, and people listened when she spoke, that she was speaking for God. Now, we don't know if she was speaking and providing some new revelation from God under a special inspiration of God. It's possible. But many times a prophetess was someone someone who didn't necessarily speak new revelation from God, but they they spoke about revelation that had already been given. So that may be the case. Maybe she spoke, and when she spoke, she she was teaching, and she was sharing, and she was proclaiming God's word. What form of God's word would she have had access to? Well, the law. And the prophets and the writings, right? Which is what we call the old, what we would call the Old Testament. So, so she had access to scriptures and, and she was able to speak in a way that pointed people to God and helped people understand God's word. Some sources say she may have been a teacher in the temple. And some would speculate a little bit and say possibly she taught women and children. That's possible. Maybe she was what we would call a Sunday school teacher. That's possible. Again, we don't know. But she was actively serving the Lord. She was involved in sharing the word of God with people. And look at what else it says that she was doing in, uh, in verse 37. It says she did not depart from the temple, verse 37, about the middle. But she served God with fastings and prayers night and day. So what this tells us is that she dedicated herself to prayer. She was serious about prayer. She spent time with God. 
She fasted, which meant, meant that she concentrated her mind and even her physical body on prayer by disciplining herself not to eat regularly as we do. She was focused on prayer, and she was very consistent in her prayer. She prayed night and day. This is like what Paul tells us to do when he says pray without ceasing, right? I mean, she was a prayer warrior. That's what she was. And you may have known somebody like this, an elderly woman who prayed, who was a prayer warrior. I remember one lady one time, one of our churches, saying, Pastor, pray for me. I just really want to improve my prayer life. Right now, I only pray an hour a day, and I just really want to grow in that area. <laughs> it's like, yes, ma'am, I'll pray for you, that you'll grow in your prayer life. There are people like that, right? Just prayer warriors. Well, here, this woman was dedicated to prayer. And the word prayers is interesting. In, uh, in, in verse 37, with fastings and prayers, there are, are several words in the original language for prayer. This word is one that means to make a request. In other words, to ask for a specific answer. So, so when she prayed, it wasn't just, dear God, thank you, dear God, help us. She was praying very specifically. Her prayers were very focused, and, they were, and she was intent on asking God to do something. And I think we could say that her prayers were not probably so much for her own comfort and relief and health and help. Because look at where her concern was. Look at the end of verse 38. All those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. That was her mindset. In fact, that was her network. Those were her people. The ones who were praying and hoping and waiting. So probably she was praying something like, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Right? She was praying for God to fulfill his promises. Her prayers were very focused. Her prayer was concentrated. Her prayer was continual. And, and notice, notice the action word in verse 37 again. I know I'm moving around a little bit. But look at the middle of verse 37. It says she served God. And this is a word for serve that doesn't just mean doing service that's work. Like if you and I show up on a work day and we say, hey, we serve the Lord by helping in the work day. Yes, that's, that is serving the Lord. But this is a word that means service that is actually worship. Worship. The emphasis is on the fact that she was very active in, in, at the temple and in praying and fasting and that her action was not just going through motions, but she was worshiping God. She was performing a service of worship. So when we look for the source of Anna's hope, what do we find in her activity? We find a woman who was devoted to serving the Lord, don't we? Her, her life was oriented toward God. Her mind was focused on the promises of God. Her actions, her activities were involved in worshiping God, serving God, and praying to God. She was as active a centenarian as you could imagine. She was very, very active, but her activity was oriented toward God. People who are hopeful are not sitting around waiting for something to happen. In fact, just being passive and being a, a sitter and not, not thinking forward, not, not trusting out there, not 
not looking to God in any way, just, just waiting and wishing and, and, and kind of longing for something to happen is not a characteristic of hopeful people, is it? In fact, people without hope sit and wait for circumstances to change or for other people to come along and to help them. But people who have hope are actively serving the Lord. People who have hope are busy in the work of the Lord. And their prayers are focused and they're praying for for the, the one who can help, the one who can provide hope to do the work that only he can do. When you look around you, when you look around where you live, the people that come and go on your street, when you Think about the people that you work with, maybe sit next to, that you encounter in your activities. I think we could say that many of them lack real hope, don't they? And like Anna, what can you and I do? Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. But serving the Lord includes praying, doesn't it? And it includes sharing the word. That's the kind of person she was. She, she was a prophetess. She shared the word. And she prayed in hope. And we can do the same thing, can't we? Serve the Lord. Share the word. Pray for people. And pray for God to reveal to them the source of true hope. But you can do something else too, can't you? We've talked about this a lot over months past. You and I should be ready, as 1 Peter 3.15 says, to give a reason for the hope that is in you. So as you live next to, as you work with, as you encounter people, as you're with family, and you have this hope in you, this hope that is anchored to God and his promises and, and to Jesus Christ, you can share the word, you can pray for them, and be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in you when God gives you those opportunities. Now, just staying busy isn't the cure for discouragement. What was at the heart of Anna's hope? What is the secret? Not the circumstances of life, not a happy home, not financial security, not even just staying busy. What what was it for her? I think we have some clues that take us further and deeper into this this person, this life, this individual, so we can see this old saint's hope. Look at verse 38. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. She came upon a scene, didn't she? We don't know what corner she came around or what hallway she went down or what room she might have entered, but she came upon a scene. And here's the scene. Now back up to verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. That's the Messiah, the anointed one. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, 
he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles, that's everybody, and the glory of your people, Israel. What did Anna see and hear? The source of her hope. God had sent the promised Savior. And then look back in verse 38 and look at how she responded. It says, coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord. Now, Luke, the writer here, chose a very significant word to describe how Anna responded, and I don't want you to miss this. He chose a complex word in the original language that signifies that she was answering to an act of God. And that her response to this spectacular work of God was a prayer of thanks and praise to God that actually was not just a personal prayer in her heart or something that reflected only her own thoughts and ideas, but it actually turned into a public proclamation to all those around her. It's like if somebody says, hey, would, would you lead us in prayer? And somebody stands and starts praying, and you all of a sudden realize that, oh, they're not just praying for themselves. They're praying for all of us. In fact, I thought of this illustration. If you've been to a sporting event or some patriotic setting, where the national anthem is being sung, and sometimes a soloist will, with a great voice will, will sing the national anthem and Let's assume that person is a, a proud and loyal citizen of the United States, and so, so their heart is, is swelling with the, the melody and the, and the words of the national anthem. And, it, and it's, it's an act of honor, isn't it? But as that person sings, other citizens who care and who are loyal to our country are standing and looking at the flag, and maybe they're hand is over their heart, or if it's a a veteran or a military personnel, maybe they're saluting, at least standing at attention. And and as as the music builds and as the the vocalist soars through those those notes and the images are on people's minds and, and there's some heart swelling of patriotism, maybe even a goosebump or a tear here and there, and all of a sudden everyone's caught up In that moment, everybody is thinking, yes, I am thankful for my country. I am proud of my country. I think that's the idea of what happened here. I think that's what's contained in this this word that Luke chose to represent the way that Anna preached. All of a sudden, she's, she's thanking God. But in that moment, her prayer became something more than her personal feeling of honor and and reverence and and celebration and joy and thanksgiving. Whoever was around her, it seems, all of a sudden became aware, this is important. This is a significant moment. And that prayer impacted them. That prayer involved them. And it became a public proclamation and praise to this one who had come. Then it says in verse 38, she spoke of him. 
to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. This is why I'm using the word hope, and this is why I call this message an old saint's hope. Because the implication is she was looking, and also she was part of a group of people who when they got together said, I wonder when he'll come. And I wonder how he will come. We know he's going to come. But I wonder how it's going to happen. There were people that she knew who were looking for the one who would come to be the redeemer, the deliverer, the one who would pay the price to set them free. And we know that there was a national anticipation of a king who would come and set them free from their political bondage and and subservience to Rome and all those things. But there were also people, it seems, who knew that there would come one who would pay for their sins and set them free from the kingdom of darkness and provide forgiveness and that he would pay a price. That's what redemption means. And, of course, we know that, that he did pay that price, didn't he, with his blood on the cross. So, so she belonged to this network of people who had hoped their deliverer would come, and they longed for and confidently expected God to send one who would redeem them. And as, as, uh, as Simeon call, called him, he, he was, verse 30, your salvation. He was the one who would deliver. So what was Anna's source of hope? And what is yours and mine? It's salvation. It's redemption. It's Jesus. And all of God's promises contained in Jesus. All of God's promises fulfilled to us in Jesus. The forgiveness of sins we have in Jesus. The purpose for living that we have in Jesus. Knowing that we're going to heaven because of Jesus. And the experience of the fullness and the blessings and the comfort and the strength that God gives to us day by day in Jesus Christ. And that one day we will be with him and we will be like him and we will be with those who are already with him and will be reunited with them and joined together. And there will be a cascade of worship before our Savior Jesus Christ and we will love him and be with him forever. That is our hope. And it's all in Jesus. I love where it says in verse 38, she spoke of him. And I picture, I think of a, I think of a little woman, maybe she wasn't, I don't know, but I think of an elderly little, little lady who shuffles along and has a creaky, croaky voice. And she gazed in wonder. And she said, it's him. And that little scratchy voice just started repeating those words. It's him. And she made her way out of the temple, down the halls, into the city streets, and found her friends. And said, it's him. It's him. It's him. Little Anna. That old saint's hope and yours was cradled that day 
in Simeon's arms, but would hang one day on Calvary's cross. And today, if you know him, he is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Would you pray with me? As we look within and we look around, Heavenly Father, we don't find reasons for hope. But as we look to you and we look upon Jesus, we know that he is our hope. I thank you for these men and women, these young men, young women, boys, girls sitting here today, and all of us gathered together because our hope is in you. And I pray that we would be reminded, that we would reconnect our thoughts, our faith to you in hope, and that we would be ready to talk about it for the people we encounter in the days ahead. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We today give our thanks to you. In Jesus' name, amen.